Hey, everyone. Welcome to Let's Get Civical. This is the podcast that breaks down politics, government structure, and dives into the context of current events, but in a super fun way. I'm Lizzie Stewart, comedian, feminist, and political junkie. And I'm Arden Wallentowski, former Senate intern, campaign staffer, and political strategist. In this episode, we're talking about the history of Thanksgiving. So grab your turkey. And let's get civical. A Jew is goodbye. Ah, shit. All right. Well, just, hey. Just what's, say what's, a oh, bonjour. 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 Sorry to our French listeners. You know French has never been my strength on this podcast. <laughs> I've been given the French words too many times. Too many times. Too many times. Hello. How How is everybody the day before Thanksgiving? A full holiday. Can a you Do you feel it? <laughs> A full-ass holiday in the time of Rona. It feels like the first, I know this is not the first holiday that we're experiencing experiencing in the time of Rona, but it feels like the first one that like feels really affected by the sure. virus. Because Easter, I feel like everybody was like, I don't know. Rona just hit. Like, Rona yeah. just hit. Like, it also, wasn't... it's a very secular holiday. Yes. You know, so very, very almost niche in a sense. Yes. Just for the Christians, just for yes. Jesus. Yes. But it's also, I feel like, a mind, it's a mind fuck for Thanksgiving because you're supposed to be giving thanks. Yes. <laughs> Giving thanks and being Giving grateful thanks. for community, and and yeah. here we are. And here I'm we grateful. Are. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for a community that is literally my 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 community. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for uh, my family and this bedroom, which has become my ultimate prison. Uh, that I. <laughs> Simply live, work, and die in, day in and day out. I'm grateful for my sun lamp that is doing the Lord's work while the sun is going down at 4.30. The sun goes down and my sun lamp goes on. That's so nice. So does it mimic the sun? Is that what's supposed to happen? Um, Yeah, it's like it's supposed to. Yeah, it's supposed to mimic. There's some sort of like rays that it gives off, and that's supposed to help people with like seasonal depression, which I greatly suffer from. Mm. Like help mediate the the harshness that it because like seasonal depression, at least for me, comes on like like a ton of bricks, especially when the sun starts going down yep. super early, and at the same time, like it gets colder. And then, like, this, the weather has been super dreary. Like, it hasn't been a ton of, like, bright, sunny cold, which is fine. Mm, It's uh been, like, overcasty, rainy cold. Gross. So that can also, like, make it worse. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just supposed to, like, give your brain the sensation of, like, sunlight to help release. Mm. I don't know. Is it serotonin? Couldn't tell you. One of those One of those those onins to make you feel better. Does it work? Mm. I don't know, but it's it could be a placebo effect. Sure, sure. You could be doing worse. I could be. I always could be doing worse. That's kind of like <laughs> the title of my memoir is I could be oh. doing worse. <laughs> I love that. I think that that, I think it's great. I think you Thank should you. use it. Yep. Look, I'm proactive. I'm proactive. I turn mm-hmm. on the light every day, every single day. I wake up and I go, on you go. It's sure it's daylight right now, but let's just get both suns. Let's get all the sunlight. (laughs) Can't have too much sun. Can't have too too much much sun. sun. You can't have too much sun. 
So anyways, that's me. What are you thankful for, Arden? Mm, I am thankful for, you know, I'm thankful for all of my friends. Okay, love. I'm thankful for uh, my family members. I'm thankful for, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like thankful for, this is going to sound egotistical and conceited, but like I'm thankful for myself. Like I think that. Okay. It's not egotistical. I, Be thankful, grateful for self. I am grateful for self. I'm grateful for like this year has been obviously hard in a lot of ways, as it has been for most everybody. It's also been like I've learned a lot this year. I've had new mm-hmm. experiences this year. Mm-hmm. I've done, you know, I started school this year. Yeah. Like there's huge, huge stuff and like you know, and uh, grateful to still have a job, all of that stuff. Yeah. And so I'm just like grateful for all of the things, even like the not so great experiences I've had. Like I'm still grateful for them because they taught me something and I've learned from them. But then grateful for my myself and my ability to like to be in a place where I can learn from things. Right. Right. And I think that's like, you know, that's not a, that it's hard to be there sometimes. So I'm grateful that I, you know, embraced that moment in my life. And I'm grateful for the friends and the family who support me and love me. And I love and support them. And we love that. Always And my car. I'm grateful for my car. Grateful for my car, too. Oh, so grateful. Yeah. Grateful for my car and grateful grateful. for my front bangs, obviously. Yes, uh, obviously. Sort of doing the work by giving me a personality um, without having to try. And I'm grateful. Yes. I'm grateful. Yes. Uh, you do. The edge comes off of you now in a way that it didn't before. There. It and is that's quite all effortless. Yeah. It's effortless. effortless. I'm yeah. effortless. It's effortless. We're effortless. Mm-hmm. This is a podcast that is truly effortless. <laughs> Just <laughs> kidding. This takes so much work, you guys. You have no idea. <laughs> it takes It takes so much work. It takes so much work, but we're so grateful to do it. We're grateful for you, the listeners, who tune yes. in day in and day out to listen to us talk about what we want to talk about and and yeah. learn from us learning from each other. Yeah. Oh my god, that was so eloquent. I'm amazing. That was so you should be a speechwriter. I'm a speechwriter. Somebody hire me. I hear there's a lot of vacancies. <laughs> <laughs> but today we decided to do something on brand, on theme, and we're going to talk about the history or the herstory of Thanksgiving. Yes, we are. Because it has a herstory. It has a herstory, and it's not the herstory that we learned as children. Mm -mm. And, you know, I feel like I knew a little bit more about the story than... Then I, you know, like I learned over the years more about the story than I had when I was in school as a kid, but definitely did not know all of the details. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I have I have some French friends and a few of them have been in the States uh, like around the time of Thanksgiving. And they've asked me, like, what is the story of this holiday? <laughs> like, what's the deal? And it's and because they don't have that holiday. Right. And it's always been a little like. Well, the pilgrims and the Indians, you know, like the mm-hmm. pilgrims and the Native Americans or the indigenous Americans. Uh-huh. And you, you like you try to explain it and it's just like there's just silence yeah. because it's so hard to explain. It's so hard to explain. Uh, and and we're and we're not taught the like the the actual details of it and where the holiday actually came from and what it's supposed to mean. So, so that's what we're going to do today. Yeah. That's what we're going to do today. History of Thanksgiving. So I So let's okay, so let's compare stories. Like okay. when I was when I was a kid and I'm sure you did this too. Like you make the like the turkey the turkey handprints, hand sure. With the feathers yeah. and you write your name in it. It's all super cute. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like I'm sure there are pictures someplace of like little second grade me being surrounded by like the boys in the pilgrim hats and like all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think growing up, like I just, you know, we were taught the story of that it was like this big amicable feast and, right. and they came together and it was amazing. And it's about two groups of people who 
you know, helped each other. Put aside their differences. Put aside their differences and their conflicts and came together to like celebrate food and community and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And some of that is true. Like there's like nuggets, kernels of truth in some of that. But it's such a, I don't know, like what it is, what what was your experience growing up? No, it was very similar. Uh, Handprints, you know, I was in sort of my primary education when I was living in Texas. So we we even Mm. went as far as having, you know, um, sort of now looking back, uh, problematic headdresses as well, you know, like homemade. Uh, Sure, sure. Of course. Yes. And yeah, to me, like in my memory of what it was, it was like the pilgrims were these super generous people Mm -hmm. who were sharing their table with the Native Americans who, you know, were depicted as, you know, as as like the stereotypical Native Americans that we saw. It's like they were they were yeah. invited as guests to the pilgrims yes. home. Yes, 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 uh, yes. And and that that what it was a very peaceful event. And and it was like you said, like sort of two households, both like in dignity, uh in fair Plymouth, where we lay our scene. <laughs> so not a lot about it. To me, like what I definitely remember that is obviously now problematic was like that the pilgrims had ownership over the land and it was there. Mm-hmm. It was like it was they were the protagonists of this story. Yes. Right. And it was always told yes, in the yes. perspective of the pilgrims, not the perspective yep. of the Native Americans. So that definitely mm-hmm was was what i was taught but it, yeah i mean like i don't have a lot of even more detail than that it was just like you you go to your family's house and you give thanks yep for whatever and there's a turkey god knows why and god knows why and you know other, oh actually we'll, we'll find out why thank god uh and other you know, know stereotypical dishes and you always eat that and that you know that's it yeah yeah and there's and like but it's you know we hear the story of the first what we like what we're told is the first thanksgiving but like it also i always had a hard time connecting it to what was happening in the present because it's not like you know you go and you have dinner with your generally with your family Mm -hmm. right i mean like in new york city we tend to do like friends giving so everybody you know like you go to a friend's apartment and you bring a dish and it's you like some of the best Thanksgivings I had were the ones when I first moved to New York because I got to meet people I had never met before mm-hmm. because everybody like brought a random friend and it was really great. But like aside from those experiences, the idea of like these two groups kind of coming together, like even in the most like idealistic version of that event is not really how we celebrate Thanksgiving now. Now sure. it's like about going to families and and like kind of insular and being with people yeah, who yeah, you yeah. kind of in theory, not I mean this isn't true for everybody, but like people who you already know really well and potentially get along with. Right. But yeah, it's a it's a really it's an interesting it's interesting what we've chosen to take from that story. Right. Much more interesting what we've left out of that story. Right. We sort of made and it our own, really. We really, we really, you know, got creative and took creative license with it and made it our own. And so we're going to talk about, like, the real story of Thanksgiving, what happened, who was there, who was involved. And we're going to talk about the impact that Thanksgiving has had on what I have now. I mean, I, I also in, like, researching this episode, I was like, what do we call... <laughs> The Native Americans, like, what do they want to be called? Sure. Because it's Valid. changed Valid. and it's not like, you know, we used to call them Indians and then the thing became Native Americans. Mm-hmm. And then at some point I read some story, some article a couple years ago that was like, we don't like to be called Native Americans. We want to be called Indians because that's what people have referred to us as. Mm-hmm. So I did another search and the term that kept coming up was Indigenous Americans. Sure. Sure. So that's what I've kind of used. That's the term that I've used. So hopefully that is acceptable. To, sure. To and like, I feel hopefully like we're like we're trying. Right. If it's not, and if you're somebody who believes that it should be a different term, let us know. 
We are yeah. here to learn and adapt and adjust. But I think that yes. I feel good saying indigenous. So that's what we'll do yeah. for today. And if we need to Great. adjust, we will always adjust moving forward. We'll adjust. Happy we'll to adjust. adjust. So before we jump in, uh, Arden, do you want to go through the the sources? Ah, yes. The sources. So a lot of this is coming from various news articles. I'm talking about the history of Thanksgiving and debunking Thanksgiving, myths of, thanks- myths of Thanksgiving. So one is a Washington Post article by Valerie Strauss. Mm-hmm. I did tap into National Geographic Kids because they have As you some should. good info. You literally <laughs> legally have to. <laughs> you have to. You, there has to be a kid's website in any sourced in every episode. There's a great article from the New York Times by Maya Salam. Love. There is a great handout from the National Museum of the American Indian that talks about like the specific tribe of uh, indigenous Americans who were present mm-hmm. for the, the harvest feast that we now call the first Thanksgiving. It was a really great handout about like community and their culture. A Smithsonian Magazine article by Claire Bugos. I hope I'm saying your last name right. Thank you, Claire. Claire, thank you for the for the article. And a Newsweek article by Kelly Wynn. Amazing, amazing. Yeah. So let's talk about the real story. And we're going to start with, of course, the settlers. The settlers. So this stuff is coming from Nat Geo Kids, which I'm so excited. So excited. Yes. Yep. The people who comprised the Plymouth Colony were a group of English Protestants called Puritans who wanted to break away from the Church of England. These, quote, separatists initially moved to Holland. Oh, my gosh. So, like, went from England to Holland. Then they were like, you know what? Let's go west. Let's go west. But after 12 years of financial problems, they received funding from English merchants to sail across the Atlantic Ocean in 1620 to settle in a new world. Carrying 101 men, women, and children, the Mayflower traveled the ocean for 66 days and was supposed to land where New York City is now located. I I know where this is going. But windy conditions forced the group to cut their trip short and settle at what is now Cape Cod, Massachusetts. So fun fact. Yeah. I've been to the Plymouth Rock, which is basically a rock that says Plymouth in like Cape Cod, Massachusetts. It's very, it's very unceremonious. There's like a, a, like a box around it. I don't, I don't think it's, I think it's one of those situations where this is not the rock, you know, but they were like, we need a rock. To symbolize the rock. So this is the rock. But I've been there. I've been there. Oh, my goodness. So those are our settlers coming through through the May, coming over through the Mayflower. Love to see it. Yeah. Then we have the indigenous Americans. As the Puritans prepared for the winter, they also gathered anything they could find, including Wampanoag supplies. When the English established their colony at Plymouth, they encountered a group of people who lived in a communal way. The Wampanoag defined themselves by their environment and were bound into a strong community by a shared knowledge of their forested coastal home, their cultural practices, and their language. The same sense of community is integral to Native cultures throughout the Western Hemisphere. Native communities traditionally place a high value on social relationships. The needs of the community were met through the efforts of all, and all were expected to contribute. So obviously... They have this very strong sense of community, strong yep. tribal sense of community. And the Wampanoag yep. is obviously this, the indigenous the tribe, tribe. The indigenous tribe. Depicted yeah. in the first Thanksgiving. One day, Samoset, a leader of the Abenaki people, and Tusquantum, better known as Squanto, visited the settlers. Squanto was a Wampanoag who had experience with other settlers and knew English. Squanto helped the settlers grow corn and used fish to fertilize their fields. After several meetings, a formal agreement was made between the settlers and the native people, and in March of 1621, they joined together to protect each other from other tribes. This is all still coming from Nat Geo for kids. Yeah. And so a little deeper dive into the history of Squanto. Because it's not as pleasant as Nat Geo kids would have you believe. Of course it's not. And this is coming from the (laughs) New York Times article. 
Yeah. So he did play a large role in helping the pilgrims as American children are taught. His people had lived on the site where the pilgrims settled. When they arrived, he became a translator for them in diplomacy and trade with other native people and showed them the most effective method for planting corn and the best locations to fish. According to Kate Sheehan, a spokeswoman for the Plymouth Plantation, which is a living history museum in Plymouth, he was captured by the English in 1614 and later sold into slavery in Spain. Mrs. Sheehan, who's the spokeswoman, said, He spent several years in England where he learned English. He returned to New England in 1619 only to find his entire original tribe dead from smallpox. And he met the pilgrims two years later in March of 1621. So, yeah, not what we're taught. No. We're not taught his origin story at all. Why? Because then we have to ask, how did smallpox get there? Hmm. How did smallpox get there? How did it get there? Who? How? Tell me about the years in enslavement. Like, I want to know why he was let go. Like, I want, there's so much to unpack. Right. And that. In that exchange. But we never get told that stuff. We just get told, like, he knew English. He, he helped like, us plant How corn. did this man know English? He taught us how to fish. Oh. Yeah. Where, mm-hmm. how, where did he learn English? Where did he learn English? He didn't oh, just he was pick it up. Yes, of course. Yes. yes, of course. Yes. Yes. So that's a bit of background on the, like, where the pilgrims were coming from where the indigenous Americans, you know, the specific tribe that was local to the area where they were coming from, a little bit about their background and the most notable member of that tribe. Mm -hmm. Um, So then let's talk about what happened at this first quote Thanksgiving. What happened? What happened? So one day, uh, this is all still coming from Nat Geo Kids, and then a little bit later will be – a Washington Post article. So one day that fall, four settlers were sent to hunt for food for a harvest celebration. The Wampanoag heard shots and alerted their leader, Massawat, who thought the English might be preparing for war. So the native, the uh, indigenous Americans are out hunting. They hear gunshots and they're like, these motherfuckers are coming for us. Right. They're here. They're here. They're coming for us. They thought they were preparing for war. So Massawat mm-hmm. visited the English settlement with 90 of his men to see if the war rumor was true. And I just love this because I love that this leader was like, hold up. Hold on. Let's not create drama Wait where there's no minute. drama being had. Mm-hmm. Let's take mm-hmm. a breath. Let's go investigate. Let's look at Inhale, the evidence. Exhale. Inhale, Mm -hmm. exhale, let's center ourselves and get the full picture. So soon after their visit, the Native Americans realized that the English were only hunting for their harvest celebration. Mm -hmm. Massawat sent some of his own men to hunt deer for the feast. And for three days, the English and the Native men, women and children ate together. The meal consisted of deer, corn, shellfish, and roasted meat, different from today's traditional Thanksgiving feast. They played ball games, sang, and danced. Okay, sounds lovely. Sounds lovely. I love this. Sounds cute. I, I I can get down with some venison and some shellfish. That sounds great. Sure. Although prayers and thanks were probably offered at the 1621 harvest. Again, this is coming from Nat Geo, who really, really wants to lean into this like good-natured, good-spirited side mm-hmm. of this exchange. The first recorded religious Thanksgiving Day in Plymouth happened two years later in 1623. And on this occasion, the colonists gave thanks to God for rain after a two-month drought. Sure, as you as you do. As you would. As you do, as you do. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for the Thank rain. You. Love you. Thank you. Thank you. Historians, including those at Plymouth Plantation, again, a living museum in Plymouth, Massachusetts, say that they do not know that there say they do know that there was a feast that year in 1623 shared by the colonists and the Wampanoag Indians and Squanto. But one historical account of the actual dinner says that venison was served and some sort of fowl, but it doesn't specifically mention turkey. I think that would have, I'm guessing like a pheasant, maybe a duck. Probably. Right? Something would have been like accessible near the water. Right, 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 right. You know? It's like, come on. I, I'm, my money's on pheasant. I, on pheasant. Pumpkin, uh, this is from the WAPO article, pumpkin was available, but it is not likely that the colonists whipped up a pie. Not likely. Not likely. Considering not likely. 
considering no ovens and I don't know. Sort where of you, know anything. So, sort of know anything. No, sh- I mean, maybe they had certainly no Pillsbury pie crust. God, no. Furthermore, sweet potatoes were unknown to the colonists. And shame. cranberries, I know, it's really a shame. And cranberries may have been served, but not as a relish. <laughs> no, of course not. Of course not. It's Thank you, WAPO. I know. Thank you, WAPO, for being it's- like, you know what? I don't think they baked a pie. It's like, no shit. No shit, No Sherlock. shit. No shit. I love, but we got to get the important details right. Yeah, of course. There were no sweet potatoes. There were no sweet potatoes. You think, if you think for one second that sweet potatoes were served at the OG Thanksgiving, (laughs) get a clue. Get a clue. Get a clue. No. Like, wake up. Yes. So this is coming now from a a New York Times article by Maya Salam. So she uh, interviewed a few people. And one of the people that she interviewed was this guy, James Lowen, who is a sociologist and author of Lies That My Teacher Told Me, Everything Your American History Textbook Got Wrong. And he told the, I mean, which is a book that I would love to read. We simply have to read it. We simply have to read it. it. He told the New York Times, quote, it's been taught that the pilgrims came because they were seeking religious freedom, but that's not entirely true. No. Shock. Shock. What? (laughs) I'm almost as shocked as learning that there was no pumpkin pie at the first Thanksgiving. Sure. I am shocked and dismayed. The pilgrims had religious freedom in Holland, where they first arrived in the early 17th century, like Lizzie said before. Like those who settled in Jamestown, Virginia in 1607, the pilgrims came to North America to make monies. Which is like the, that's the American dream. I don't know why we push the religion thing. I'm like, this sounds more like us than anything. This is U.S. Money. This is U.S. Yeah. We're coming here to make money. I'm yep. not here to make friends. Like, come on. No. no. I got mouths to feed. Let's go. Prayer, I can pray anywhere. Money, I can pray that anywhere. I can't get in Holland. Prayer day keeps the doctor away. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Where's my money? They were also coming to, to the colonies in order to establish a religious theocracy, which he did, says Mr. Lowen, that it's not exactly the same as coming here for religious freedom. It's kind of like coming here against religious freedom. So <laughs> we want more power to establish our religion. Yes. Is basically what he wanted. They yeah. wanted like a like a conclave or whatever that word. Sure. Yeah. Like they I wanted want a conclave for I, God's sakes. Listen, give me a give me a house. I will make a conclave. Do you know what will be mm-hmm. the guiding force of that conclave? Fresh bread and cheese. If you are on board with a cheese plate and some fresh baked bread. I am your leader. I would like to be a part of your conclave. Great. Thank you. You are welcome. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. He also says, I love that he throws this in here. He's like, also, the pilgrims never called themselves pilgrims. They were separatists. Sure. 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 I mean, pilgrims sound so lame. Pilgrims? Pilgrims? Like, hey, I'm a pilgrim. Or, hey, I'm a separatist. I'm here to fuck shit Shit up. up. Yes. As opposed to pilgrims. I don't know. What do you stand for? Pilgrims. The term pilgrims did not surface until around 1880. Sure. Contrary to popular depictions, there are about 90 native people in attendance at what we like to think of as the first Thanksgiving. Almost double the number of pilgrims by some accounts. Mm. And at a large table. Yeah. That's a partay, not a gathering. That is more than 10. That is more than 10. We're going to take a quick break for a little word from our sponsors. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. So wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. 
Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. So just debunking a few more of the myths, Puritans are also thought of as having silver buckles on their shoes and wearing somber black clothing. (laughs) Their attire was actually bright and cheerful with no shoe buckles. With no shoe buckles. Who who put the buckle in? I don't know. Who did it? Who was like, you know what this outfit is missing? A A giant buckle. ass fucking buckle. A giant buckle on the shoe. Somebody took some creative liberties mm-hmm. and and we're suffering for it even today. Yes. All of the kids who are forced to How dress silly. up as pilgrims. Some those parents got to find big ass buckles. That is so silly. There's also some myths about the Native Americans. They actually didn't wear woven blankets on their shoulders and large feathered headdresses, even though some artworks portray this. I mean, that is just obviously stereotypes. Yeah. Coming out of the wazoo, not surprising for our artists to sort of take those liberties. Mm-hmm. The buckle, I don't get. The buckle, I really don't get. I don't get what you but- achieve with the buckle. I mean, it does make them seem very Puritan. Sure. Do you, like, it makes them seem very buttoned up, shall we say, and very, like, there's, right. like, a, in, there's in a stark buckles. contrast with yes. the Native Americans with their headdresses and all the yes. other stereotypical stuff that we throw on them. For sure. For sure. There is a contrast there. I see it. I'm all about it. So with that said, let's talk about the impact on Indigenous Americans. Probably to me, what is the most important part of this episode. So this stuff is still, uh, it's going to be coming from the Nat Geo stuff and also the Newsweek article by Kelly Wynn. So first from Nat Geo. The peace between the Native Americans and settlers lasted for only a generation. The Wampanoag people do not share in the popular reverence for the traditional New England Thanksgiving. For them, the holiday is a reminder of betrayal and bloodshed. Since 1970, many Native people have gathered at the statue of Massanoet in Plymouth, Massachusetts, each Thanksgiving day to remember their ancestors and the strength of the Wampanoag. This is called the National Day of Mourning, and this is coming from the Newsweek article. It is a, quote, day of protest by Native Americans on the East Coast who visit Coles Hill, which overlooks Plymouth Rock in Plymouth, Massachusetts, to remember that famous first Thanksgiving from a different perspective. The National Day of Mourning was established to remember the Native American suffering that occurred when the Mayflower landed. A plaque at Cole Hill explains that view, quote, Thanksgiving Day is a reminder of the genocide of millions of their people, the theft of their lands, and the relentless assault on their cultures. Mm-hmm. Participants in National Day of Mourning honor Native ancestors and the struggles of Native peoples to survive today. The National Day of Mourning, which looks at Thanksgiving from a different perspective, was spawned from a speech that was given in 1970. Wham Frank James, the leader of the Aquana. Wampanoag tribe wanted to share his true feelings at Plymouth Thanksgiving in 1970. He wasn't allowed to speak for fear that it would create an even larger divide between the Native Americans and the Americans in attendance. The text of his speech, which was to take place 350 years 
after the first Thanksgiving turned organizers off. Well, sure. Well, sure. They're celebrating, quote, the first Thanksgiving, and they won't let the guy who's the leader of what is now left of this tribe speak. Speak. At the For fear that they're going to be like, he's going to drop some truth bombs and it's going to make... It's going to make the non-Native Americans really uncomfortable. It's not going to be nice. You know what's uncomfortable? Smallpox in a blanket, honey. That's what's uncomfortable. That is really uncomfortable. So his speech, a segment of it reads, quote, This is a time of celebration for you, celebrating an anniversary of a beginning for the white man in America, a time of looking back, of reflection. It is with a heavy heart that I look back upon what happened to my people. Even before the pilgrims landed, it was common practice for explorers to capture Indians, take them to Europe, and sell them as slaves for 220 shillings apiece. The pilgrims had hardly explored the shores of Cape Cod for four days before they had robbed the graves of my ancestors and stolen their corn and beans. End quote. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. We're, we're telling we're a, a completely different story has been adopted mm-hmm. and accepted and mainstreamed Mm -hmm. you know yep and it's you know it's not it's not trendy to talk about like what actually happened or like to talk about i mean we can talk about what because it sounds to me like the actual event of the feast was actually a nice event was fine right was fine But, but it's, it's like you can't talk about that individual event without the larger context. Yes, it's the it's the you lack know? of addressing it within the larger context that I think is where we make a grave mistake and go astray and don't honor the history, the full history of the people whose land and communal property we just straight up stole. Mm-hmm. So this is coming from the Smithsonian Magazine article. When the pilgrims landed in Plymouth in 1620, the chief offered the new arrivals an entente, primarily as a way to protect the Wampanoags against their rivals, the Narragansetts. For 50 years, the alliance was tested by colonial land expansion, the spread of disease on Wampanoag land. Then tensions ignited into war, known as King Philip's War, or the Great Narragansett War, mm-hmm. the conflict devastated the Wampanoags and forever shifted the balance of power in favor of European arrivals. Wampanoags today remember the pilgrims' entry to their homeland as a day of deep mourning rather than a moment of giving thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's important to note that, like, the other side of this, the Wampano, like, there's the pilgrims yep. and, and the Wampanoags, right? And it's important to note that the Wampanoags do not view this the same way. As the rest of this United States uh, does. Yes. And in some ways, like what they were doing and engaging in what is basically a peace treaty with Mm -hmm. the the colonists who were arriving to unite with them against this other tribe that they were at war with is like a very kind of natural thing to do. Right? Like to enter into treaties and to find allies. I mean, we do that today. That's a very natural thing to do. But let's talk about how Thanksgiving became a thing. Because it is a thing. It's a whole ass thing. thing. Like we were talking about it at the top. Now it's become this huge thing that is like we don't even talk. Like I would would guarantee that 98% of Americans celebrating Thanksgiving have no idea who the Wampanoags are. So it has obviously become so much more than than this origin yeah. story of the pilgrims and the Wampanoag tribe. So mm-hmm. take it away. Yes. So in 1789, George Washington declared Thursday, November 26th, a Thanksgiving holiday, but only for that year. And it wasn't connected to the pilgrim feast that we've been talking about, but rather intended as a, quote, public Thanksgiving and prayer, close quote, devoted to, quote, the service of that great and glorious being who is the beneficent author of all the good that was, that is, or that will be, close quote, forever and ever, amen. I mean, <laughs> seems like it seems like it was a slow year for George. I think it was a slow you know year. What I mean? it's, just, it's like, like I'm, he, was, he was done with his hobbies, you know, he was like, I don't know, man, like, I'm just kind of like bored over here. Like, maybe, maybe I'll just try... Maybe I'll make a holiday. Maybe we'll do a holiday and his cabinet members are like, yeah, George, you, you make a holiday. 
you make a holiday yep. and you just tell us what you want it to be and we're and it's good and they're over here like creating banks and stuff and they're like we're just gonna have george make a holiday you know like <laughs> whatever whatever george wants to do that's fine that's fine, that's fine. harmless that's fine. harmless fun and george is like okay i want to make a holiday i want to make it a one-time only holiday and i want it to say this write this down write this down and this poor little guy's like writing this down and he was the probably poor little guy was like you, you sure you don't want to edit that down you know kind of like concise it make it a little a little more streamlined <laughs> He's like, no, no, I no, think it's I good. Think it's good. Give thanks for the service of the great and glorious being who is the beneficent. What's the word? Author of all the good people that was, that is, and that will be. Boom. And everybody was like, uh, whatever you need, George. Like, sure. Yeah, whatever you sure, need. Sure, sure, sure. We're trying to build banks over here. Yeah, like, yeah, you, yeah. Just, you just, you keep us posted on this holiday. <laughs> yes. You let us know when you it. land on that. I love it. I love when George puts puts his hand in the pot. I really do. Yeah. So this was George's big idea. He intended it to be just the one time. Just, you know, give thanks to God. This is all coming from uh, the WAPO article, I should say, by Valerie Strauss. So George, you know, he had a great idea. He ran with it for a year. Enter a 19th century author, poet, and magazine editor named Sarah Josephina Hale. She was the editor of an influential like, magazine called Gotti's Ladies Book. Uh, yes. She did that for about 40 years from 1837 to, ni- to 1877 when she was nearly 90 years old. Go off, girl. You go, girl. Get it. You get Such it. Such a fan. You, I mean, starting at 50, I mean, yes, we have Love time. Love it. It's never too late, ladies. Let nobody keep you down. You, too, mm-hmm. at 90 years old can fight for a national holiday and win your fight. Get yours, Absolutely. girl. So Hale, who was highly patriotic, read about the 1621 Feast of the Pilgrims and became captivated with the idea of turning it into a national holiday. In the magazine, she published recipes for turkey and stuffing and pumpkin pie and started traditions that had nothing to do with the colonists, and we should say, or the indigenous Americans. Exactly right. I am not about re- rewriting this history, but we do have to honor the fact that this one woman mm-hmm. was like, just changed the course of culinary history for this day by being like, I want turkey. Mm-hmm. I want I want stuffing. I want pie. And that's it. And that's she it. put it in this book. And everybody was like, oh my gosh. Now that is etched in stone. Etched in stone. You are a genius. Genius. This woman... She has no idea what she did. She has no idea. She's no legacy. idea. No idea. She was like, literally, legacy. I was just hungry. Yes. Was having a craving. Yes. I didn't think you guys would do this every year. Every year, <laughs> my God. Um, so she began to lobby, uh, she began a lobbying campaign to persuade President Abraham Lincoln to make Thanksgiving an official annual holiday using her magazine to build public support by writing an editorial every year starting in 1846. Honey, get yours. Get yours. Get, get yours. yours. I mean. Dang. I I, I applaud her. I, I applaud. do too. Like, go off. I mean, you know. Wow. Yeah. It just goes to show, like, if I really wanted a national holiday, all you got to do is, like, find some moment that, like, you can kind of skew Come up with a good menu and know some people on the inside. It always comes back to the food. It always comes comes back back to the food. It's all about the menu. If you've got a shitty menu, like I think more people would be on board. Right. You're not going to get a holiday. I think more people would be on board with like Easter if it had like, or whatever, pick like a non, you can pick like a different holiday, but like even like our, um, like American holidays, you know, 4th of July and Memorial Day, Labor Day, all of those are like hamburgers hot dogs potatoes salad because the menu because the menu because the menu is strong you're right you're picking up something you're picking up on something strong menus strong menus and halloween candy strong menus. i mean not an actual holiday but like a holiday for sure a holiday for sure for sure but like candy i mean it's all about the food it's all about the food food. yeah listen we should just try it we should like we should get us we should get ourselves our own holiday (laughs) Honestly, let's make it election day and let's try. Let's do it. I want I want wine. I want cheese. I want pizza. I want tacos. I want I want all yeah. I want a menu of all the things that I binge eat when I'm depressed. 
And that's our election day menu. Oh my God. I guarantee you more people would vote if at the end of it, it was like, you started the day with your voting and then you got to go home and it was like, do like, we have the election day menu prepared? Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like if you had who's, to buy- Who's doing the tacos? Who is doing the Grandma? tacos? Grandma? <laughs> <laughs> this, we're onto something, I swear to God. Grandma's I know, I know we're something. We're always on to something. We're always Nobody, on to something. Nobody, guys, listen to us. Just follow our lead. Wow. Election day menu. This is, this is, this is, this big. is key. Somebody, somebody tell Call the me. next campaign. Yes. Let's go. Let's go. We're on it. She also, so this is Hale, the woman who's creating Thanksgiving, basically. She also sent letters to all of the governors in the United States and territories. Get yours. In 1863, Lincoln did set Thanksgiving as an official holiday to be celebrated on the fourth Thursday of November of every year. She succeeded. She succeeded. Nevertheless. No. He was like, okay, I get it. You know what I'm trying to do? Prevent the union from splitting up. Do you, Can you take this? Th- I mean, like, maybe he thought it was a great idea. Let's bring people together. Yeah. Give thanks. Union. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm so sure. Yeah. Or he was like, I've got to get this woman off my back. Yes. Hail so again. Yep. She's riding the governors now. Like, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. Just give her what she wants so she can stop. I love yeah. it. It just never yeah. goes to show you that, too, like, no request is too petty. This one was like, right. I want a national holiday. Want a national holiday. I want Please a national holiday. Yeah. Give it to me. FDR uh, tried to mess with Thanksgiving a little bit. Of course he did. Yeah. Couldn't help it. Couldn't help it. I mean, pack the court. Gotta get in there. Change Thanksgiving. Who do Let's go. Let's go. In 1939, uh, President Roosevelt agreed to move the annual Thanksgiving holiday to the third Thursday of November. Whoa. He moved it up a week. He wanted to, quote, help the economy economy by making the Christmas shopping season a little bit longer. There was so much opposition to the move that two years later, he changed it back to the fourth Thursday in November. I mean, imagine being like in the throes, right? Like in the very in like the very beginning of World War Two, and and people are in an uproar about the fact that Thanksgiving is on the third day, or the third Thursday of the month, and not the fourth. Like count your like count your blessings, people. Yes. Do you, you know, know what you should be grateful for having a Thanksgiving? Having a Thanksgiving. Yeah. Love that. Yeah, the so there's uh so that's you know how we got Thanksgiving as we know it now. So it's like not even really connected to this like holiday, this feast that we barely talk about and don't really remember. I mean, it was used as like a launching pad to tell the story, but really, right. Thanksgiving came from this woman who was like, "I want pie and 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 turkey." And so the thing that started is just. I find so hilarious is the presidential turkey pardoning. Oh my god! I know, and yep. I thought I thought I would end on this note just to like bring some levity to the situation. <laughs> Not that we shouldn't remember all of the things that we've talked about, but I do at the end of the day think that like if you take you know you can if you take Thanksgiving for the holiday of you know being with family Pie. and friends and being grateful for what you have and and use it as like a, a holiday of humility. I think mm. that that is uh, an appropriate perspective to from which to celebrate Thanksgiving. So the presidential tur- turkey pardoning is just like, you know, a coda on the whole situation. There is a myth about uh, how the presidential turkey pardoning started and then it started with one Abe Lincoln. When his son begged him to save the, the animal that was going to be eaten for the holiday. Sure. Like most things with, uh, you know, all of the lore around Lincoln, it's actually, it goes all the way back to 1989 <laughs> when President George H.W. Bush officially pardoned the first Thanksgiving turkey. Oh, Papa Bush. At least he got that. I know. You know? He, got, he got one tradition. At least he got the first one. This is it. According to lore, in 1863, Lincoln's 10-year-old son, Tad, supposedly became fond of a turkey given to the family for a holiday feast. Tad named the turkey Jack. As you do. As you do. And begged his father to save the animal. Lincoln did. The only problem with that as a Thanksgiving story is that Tad's plea was to save the Christmas turkey. Not Thanksgiving turkey. Two different turkeys. Thanksgiving Thanksgiving turkey? Tad didn't care about Thanksgiving turkey. Thanksgiving turkey, dead. 
dead. Dead. He did. He didn't have Jack for Thanksgiving. Jack Mm -mm. was a Christmas turkey that was given to the family. So that's there you have it. It did not start with Lincoln. It started with George H.W. Bush, with Papa Bush. And now ever since then, we've pardoned turkeys. I do think it's weird that they like, (laughs) they give the president like two turkeys and he pardons one. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? Pardon both those turkeys. Right. That just seems weird. I just don't like that they're like... Talk to the turkey. You know, I like, I pardon you, turkey. It's like, don't talk to it. Just say, I pardon the turkey. Like, talk out. Speak out. <laughs> speak to the audience of people. Like, don't talk to the turkey. Don't it's, talk weird. To the turkey. it's weird. It's, it's weird. It's weird. Like, it's I pardon weird. you, yeah. turkey. It's yes. like, no, we don't need to pardon the turkey. Uh, you know, just pardon it to the global audience. There you go. You know what I mean? But yeah, what What's- what an odd what an odd tradition to go from to go from the Mayflower and get all the way to pardoning a turkey. It's a wild. turkey. It's u dot s dot at its core. At its core, quite frankly, at its core, at its core. I really want to write this. <laughs> I want to what I want to write like a Pixar short film about the turkeys. I think that would be so funny because you like just imagine them being like brought to the White House. Be like, oh my god! All excited! They're so excited. We're gonna meet the president. Oh my god! Find out they're in trouble. They're in trouble. Yep. Yeah, it'd be a cute, it'd be cute little Pixar for sure. I love it. I'm gonna write it. You guys, that is the history of Thanksgiving. Obviously, there's like we could have done a huge deep dive. This is scratching the surface of the history of Thanksgiving, but it does give us more information aside from. The people with the buckles invited the people right. with the headdresses to have dinner. At least we got past dinner. the shoe buckle stuff. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, definitely. Definitely a lot more. Yes. A uh, lot more in- information than we were taught in school. Yeah. yeah. At all. But uh, but yeah, that's our episode. Happy Thanksgiving. We hope that you are. We hope you are celebrating from, as Arden said, a place of humility and understanding that this uh, <laughs> this holiday does have a long and deep history that we should respect and know about but uh we do hope that you are happy healthy and staying safe please stay safe please wash your hands and wear your masks yeah and we will see you next wednesday goodbye